Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, I've got on the founder of the website, The Gist, and author of a brand new book about everybody's favorite topic, which is Brexit. Uh, Josh Hamilton, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. We're living in weird times, very weird times right now. Um, I think as everybody knows, as every listener of mine certainly knows. But um, yeah, doing doing as best as I can be despite the nonsense. Despite the nonsense, things are actually going very well for me in general. Um, but yeah, I would quite like the world to return to normal and everyone to become sane again. So how about yep. yourself? Yeah, that that would be really nice. If you figure out how to do that, please give me a call. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> but you managed to be one. doing like a really good job of like staying sane in in a, in a, uh, amongst all this madness. Like your tweet last night was quite, uh, you know, just reminding that there are some still same uh, still some same people out there was uh, was quite, you know, I wouldn't say it inspirational, but yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Yeah, it's resonating with people all over the world. It's gone. It's all. It's also gone viral on Facebook as well which is really interesting because so there's obviously a lot of people out there feeling like they're the only sane person out there. Um, but yeah, Josh, I've done a really brief intro there, but why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, so I'm from Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm here to talk about my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, which is essentially, uh, I like to look at it as a case study of how social media is... Mm, in the process of destroying our democracy. Mm. Uh, I think Brexit was a really great example of not only how social media can be used to yeah, circumvent democracy in order to stir up tensions and in order to inflame divisions that already exist. And I find myself writing a very short book about it. And then it kind of ended up spiraling into a very long <laughs> book about, about Brexit and the whole the whole saga but from like the the causes of it that involve like 40 years of of underfunding and of neoliberalism i think and like draw themselves out the whole way to to the modern day where where i think the thing that people miss um and the thing that i, I really like want to emphasize is that we are not like living in a society full of crazy either woke liberals like extreme crazy remainers or 
um, like mad racist Brexiteers. It's like we're all just like people trying to get along in this world. And I feel that, that social media has been used or is at least it presents the world in a way that everyone seems insane and everyone is completely mad and the most hard line um, crazy people are the loudest and it makes you feel like like maybe you're losing your mind and mm-hmm. it, it only leads to like polarize the country more and more and more and I, I basically wanted to address the the, the, the I think social media needs to be to be watched and regulated in in order to prevent this getting worse and worse and worse interesting okay there's a lot to get into there so (laughs) first of all what made you want to write a book about this topic what inspired that well the start of the book wasn't even about social media uh the reason i started like doing my research into it was because i had written an article that that went i wouldn't say viral but it got a lot more views than i would usually get on things about how i believed that brexit was potentially going to be used for uh wealthy businesses and people to evade uh the the new tax harmonization rules that were coming in in the eu and when that blew up i kind of got this sense that perhaps Brexit might be used um, in order to to further advance the kind of like far, I don't even want to say far right, but the extreme um, laissez-faire economics that is pushed by um, like the, a certain portion of the Conservative Party and a lot of the think tanks that exist within Britain. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just evolved out into this, like look at how social media has was used um, to like, as a catalyst to, I, I wouldn't even say hijack the Brexit vote, but I definitely think it had a serious impact in in the toxicity of the debate. And you could, I think, make a very strong case that the one billion ad impressions that the Leave campaign paid for um, with uh, a set of adverts that were, should we say, less than truthful um, and completely unregulated with no oversight whatsoever. And they were allowed to to just put this out and it's given us a situation where the very wealthiest in society are going to try and use Brexit, in my opinion, to to bring in more privatization, to cut taxes and mm-hmm. to, to turn Britain into um, what they what the, the people who campaign for have openly described as a Singapore on the Thames. And I am incredibly concerned that we haven't learned any lessons whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that it, the this this pattern will will continue to repeat itself, where the population gets played off against one another, um, to the by using the the polarizing nature of social media to the benefit of of the wealthiest and most powerful in our society. That that's an interesting that's an interesting angle because wouldn't it be fair? Is it not accurate to say that actually Brexit the Brexit vote was more popular? amongst working class voters Mm, so what's the thinking behind that essentially i believe that there was two sides to the brexit campaign there's what the 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 politicians and the wealthy donors want to happen and there's what the people want Mm -hmm. and what the people want is 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 in my view not going to happen like what the people wanted was so take take the phrase take back control for example and i talked with ed straw about this on my own podcast um and we I believe that it was an incredibly powerful like piece of piece of marketing and branding because it appealed to people who feel like they're 
perhaps their place in the world is slipping. Like the modern world is running away from them. They watch like jobs uh, disappear from coastal towns and where where factories and 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 just like working class jobs would have been the what was what was there for 40, 50 years. And then it's been slowly, slowly taken away by the the slow creep of, of globalization. And I believe the Brexit vote was a was a cry for desperation, was a cry for help, like a desperate cry from those people saying, hey, listen to us. We feel like we have no control of our lives anymore. At least a portion of the vote. There was obviously um, people who voted for different sure, reasons. Sure. But like, that's the reason I think that the, the slogan take back control was so powerful because it, it speaks to 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 an idea that I think we can all um, you know we can all tap into at least a little bit in in the modern world that that things are so out of our control and they're happening on such a global scale that is so beyond um, what's happening in our day to day lives and people just want like a little bit of stability mm-hmm. and they and and you you can point to the immigration argument but I feel that 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 was just part and parcel of feeling like the way the world was has been taken away. And it's the same kind of sentiment that Donald Trump tapped into. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I think it's a, a similar sentiment that a lot of, um, that a lot of right-wing parties are, are successfully tapping into across the whole of, of Europe as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a sentiment that, that, that is born out of legitimate concerns and then labeled as, as racism or hatred of the other or, um, you know, europhobia or, or, you know, desire for control of the borders, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and I'd I feel like, it's a like good thing. yeah, what the people want is not what the politicians want. What the politicians want is, um, in my view, uh, a fourth wave of neoliberalism in Britain, which will involve cuts to public services, privatization and sale of state assets, and um, ultimately a cutting of... Um, red tape that, mm-hmm. that like involves the working time directive that involves environmental regulations that involve all of the things that, that a lot of liberals um, and left-wingers think is great about the EU and mm-hmm. that will be probably stripped away and we're, we're seeing it now already um, you know parts of the there was the the GP practice that was sold off to an American consortium that that uh, is you know has 500,000 patients on it there's talk of uh, big finance being the big thing for um, Britain to, you know, stabilize its economy or, you know, become the, the the global Britain that we want it to be. And and there's evidence that it's happening already. And I think that, that COVID is probably going to accelerate that um, as well. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I, I see very little connection between what the people voted for or what they at least thought they were voting for and what, what the politicians and the donors actually want. That's interesting. I mean, I I feel like that's politics in general. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I I I hear that. I I don't feel like it's unique to Brexit. And even with Brexit, I think it could be said for both sides, right? I think that there's an equal, certainly at least an equal. I'd say probably more politicians who opposed it, who are on the Remain side, who also have their own. Um, you know, motives and ideas behind it, which involve finances and certain links with the EU and trade, et cetera. I'm not an expert to go into all the detail of it. And also there's a lot of, you know, rich people, champagne liberals who are generally on the side of Remain, who also have their own um, sort of personal 
agenda there. I mean, I feel like on both sides, I think one thing with Brexit, I'm not super passionate either side. I mean, I'm someone who I'm someone who's kind of like ideologically leave, but actually voted for remain. Although if there were another referendum, I would have voted leave the second one. Um, But I feel like all people, I think this is a big problem I think we're having in society, especially when it comes to politics, is this is both in the UK and abroad and, and, and certainly in the USA, is I think people taking very multifaceted issues and problems and then trying to narrow them down to like a single variant, right? Just make it one thing. So it very quickly became Brexit was just about racism or xenophobia or disliking brown people or immigrants or whatever. And there was this whole narrative of like, oh, you know, I remember after it happened and people were running around saying, I can't believe we've got like dozens of millions of racist people in the UK who voted for this horrible racist leave thing. And I'm there just like, gosh, man, like, how are you people this disconnected from the world? Um, But then I think you did also have people on the, you know, the leave side, especially the sort of very staunch Brexiteers who also have like a, a very simplified view of what the Remainers or, you know, the so-called Ramoners are about. And like you said, I think um, we can get into this with social media. I think you see you see these sort of quite extreme voices amplified. So you do get like the, the psychotic Remainers all over Twitter with the FBPE and their bio and the European flag. And I'm anytime I've interacted with these people, I'm just like, y'all are crazy. Um, like I, I'm, I voted remain myself, but I would much rather hang out with Lee voters than y'all. Um, and then, and then you've kind of got like the super hardcore, uh, Brexiteer side as well. And it's a lot, it's a lot of mudslinging back and forth. And it doesn't seem like people are really, there's not a lot of empathy going on of people just trying to understand this. And even among some people I know personally, who are generally pretty reasonable, they themselves were just like, oh, you know, I can't believe people voted leave. Like, it's because they hate immigrants. And I'm kind of like, come on, guys. Like, are you? Pre- are we pretending? Like, there are lots of good reasons to vote either way. And mm. also, my, my my position on Brexit is we don't know. I, I don't think it's good. It's not going to be another, I'd literally say at least 10 years before you'll be able to look back on 2016 and decide whether or not that was a good decision. Because these things really take a while to play out. Um, as it stands right now, I think for most people haven't really noticed much of a difference, right? It hasn't been the doomsday of prices <laughs> going up double and people getting attacked on the streets because there's this rise in Zenith. Like I remember all the scaremongering that was going on and it was like, okay, like that didn't happen. Like nothing's as far as I'm concerned, nothing's happened. The passports turned from a uh, maroon to black, but um, mm. <laughs> that's about yeah. it. But I um, got my, I just got my driver's license renewed. Oh, did you? So there's, no e, there's no EU flag on it anymore. Interesting. It looks, Interesting. It, looks it looks counterfeit. That's the funniest thing about it. <laughs> like funny. I looked at it, and I was like, it looks fake. <laughs> <laughs> I get, guess you, you get used to seeing things looking a certain way, and then when it changes, there's something in your brain that's like, there's something, there's something off there. There's something missing. Yeah, but no, you're you're a hundred percent right about about the the what I said being true on the left as well, um, or on the Remain side even, um, be, and that's that's partially why I called the book the Establishment Civil War because mm. it's not about what the to me it's not about what the people want. It's the wealthy people who stand to benefit from Brexit versus the wealthy people who are benefiting from being in the EU, and that 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 for me is 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 where the fight was. It wasn't mm. it wasn't people discussing. Like, 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 genuinely saying, "Hey, look, you know, 
maybe maybe there is a level of immigration that is too high. Maybe that's a th- well. Okay, there's definitely a level of immigration that <laughs> yeah. is too high, but the, the, there was no discussion of you know where that level is. There was no, it, it just became this this thing where yeah, you if you believed in Brexit, which um, I I am not sure where I would vote a second time. I voted Remain the first time, but I'm mm. a little more. Having having done a lot of research for the book, I find yeah. I find my my opinion changing. And my my best friend who voted for Brexit um, was like, "So it took you five years and writing a book to <laughs> finally agree with me." <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely that that thing that that people said about about Trump voters is like not all not all Brexiteers are racist, but all not, not, racists not, are Brexiteers. <laughs> that's not even true, though. Even that's not true. Not in the slightest. Like I have I so, so not even close. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay. I think so by miles. And this is based on, I mean, I'm connected to hundreds of thousands of people and I know that that is nonsense, right? Just like the Trump thing, right? When people say, oh, not all Trump voters are racist, but all racists are Trump voters. I'm like, no, that is so far off. Like people just repeat that and they parrot it because they don't actually interact with so many of these people. And I'm just like, that's so far off. The amount of racism I've experienced <laughs> primarily is not coming from the side that people who believe that would think it's coming from. It's coming from the left side of the aisle. It's coming from Remain voters if they're in the UK. In America, it's coming from the left side of the aisle. It's not coming from the Trump people. So maybe some of that depends on your own ideology, right? I'm someone who very openly is more right-leaning in general. Um, so maybe that's a factor. So may- perhaps someone who's uh, looks like myself, who's more left-leaning, may find, oh, okay, they're getting more attacked by sort of, you know, uh, people with bad ideas on the right side of the aisle, whereas with me, it's kind of inverted. But even before I was open about my politics, man, like, I'll be real, like, throughout my life, I've experienced more racism from the left side of the aisle than the really? right. Yes. Like, by, what, what by, by, by a long, by, by, a, by a serious margin, too. It's not even like, it's not even like 55-45. I'm talking like, I'm talking 80, 20, 90, 10. And, I, and I'm going back to my teenage years here in terms of when I actually know the person's sort of political leanings here. It's a different kind um, of racism sometimes, but it's a, I think that's sort of like this gigantic blind spot on the left and liberal side of like the amount of racism that actually does, <laughs> that actually does exist there, certainly wow. in comparison to the other end. Yeah. What? What kind of form? Sorry to, to start asking you questions, but yeah, like, what ahead. kind of form does that take in 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 your experience? Is wow. that like the, the the racism of like low expectations? That's a big or- one. That's a big uh, one. Um, it's also it's also hey, you're a minority, so you are you have to be on our side. You're supposed to agree with us, right? If you are black and you're if you're a black American and you're conservative leaning, you catch hell. Like, I don't know how aware of this you are, like, because in America, 90% of the black population votes Democrat. So if you're one of those 10 who is, you know, who is voting Republican, then you're going to get called all kinds of awful names, often by people who share your skin color, but even by those who do not. So there's this expectation that you have to have a certain ideology. And if you don't, and if you don't follow it, it's open season on you. Then there's also the uh, whole idea of just minorities sort of being owned by the left wing, whether you're a woman, you're a black person, you're a brown person. Um, I've heard the same from even people who are who are gay, LGBT, whatever. It's just expected that they're liberal, right? It's like it's it's almost like we own you, right? In labor, you had Jeremy Corbyn come out and saying, um, you know, the only way black and well, you you know vote labor so that black and so that uh we can help we can unlock the potential of black and ethnic minority people. I'm like, what kind of Right. I'm like, what on earth is that? 
or you had Joe Biden saying, you know, if you need to decide whether you vote, need, you're going to vote for me or Trump, you ain't black. Right. And he mm-hmm. said that, um, you know, the black, com- the black community, un- he's, he was talking about the Latino community. And he said, unlike the black American community, the Latino uh, community is very diverse and they have all sorts of different ideas. So he's not very subtly just saying like black people are a monolith. So there's all that. And then the bigotry of low expectations, the, um, you know, wanting to set the standard differently for um, people who are minorities or people who are black acting like, you know, even all these concepts like white privilege and this whole like oppression victim. Like, I hate all of that stuff, man. Like I despise all of it. I've hated it since I was a teenager, um, <laughs> since I was even younger. I'm like, yo, like we can compete on a fair level. We don't need all these new things. So there's that whole sort of you know, you've probably heard the term like white savior complex. There's that whole thing that exists very, very much on the left side of the aisle. And um, I think sometimes it sort of is supposed to be coming from a good place. But there's a lot of people on that side of the aisle who who use their, especially when you're talking like the woke type, right? Like those people are freaking racist. <laughs> like there's a lot of really racist people in the woke movement and they use it to sort of hide they sort of hide it on they hide under it but as soon as you scratch beneath the surface um yeah you see the reality so that's my own personal experience so when it comes to those things whether it's like brexit trump whatever i'm like people repeat those things and i'm just like no 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 like i I don't buy it for one second well i've really stuck my foot in my mouth there haven't i it's okay (laughs) man don't worry don't worry (laughs) don't worry but look it's good it's good to know to see things from different sides because i think it's a blind spot I think it's a major blind spot. I think everyone, including people who are more right-leaning, people who are conservatives, whatever, everyone knows that, like, everyone knows what right-wing racism looks like, shall Mm. we say. Everyone knows what that looks like, right? But I think, like, left-wing racism, despite being, honestly, in 2021, I would say it's more prevalent, but people don't really know what it looks like. I've even heard people say that racism itself is a right-wing thing. And I'm just like, good grief, like, we do not live in the same... We do not live in the same reality. If you can't acknowledge that this exists on both sides of the aisle, then you're just not paying attention here. Mm. Well, mm. that actually, it brings me nicely to something I talked about in my book. Clearly, I've been stuck at least somewhat in, in my little echo chamber. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, like, that's that's something that, that I, I got really worried about when I started reading or researching for my book. It was that we we so easily get stuck in our little bubble of mm. of like who we who we hear and and like humans are, are literally like the worst things in the world for trying to change our mind because as soon as we've heard something regardless of how much you hear it's not true afterwards mm. because you heard it first that's what you believe so imagine like how hard it is to like like change someone's opinion if for like 2 weeks even all they're seeing is is just like for example um let's 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 you know pick something not controversial so vaccine passports are good right if that's all you've heard for two weeks and then someone comes along and says hey you know maybe that's not a good idea maybe (laughs) maybe maybe that's like a very 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 slippery slope towards government tyranny they'll Mm -hmm. go oh you're just a covid denier and like their their brain just switches and like i'm clearly like obviously i'm not not perfect i'm i'm probably guilty of this myself in many in many respects um uh, you know, uh, but but it happens to us all, and and the, the social media is only making this phenomenon worse. Mm. And and my real fear right now is to to pick another uh, easy topic. 
is the 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 amount of people being banned from different um platforms like twitter youtube facebook yeah. like they, like youtube have have, have banned uh stephen crowder I can't, they, I can't. They, have they banned him now um i don't know how permanent it is but they really? have like suspended his account um then he posted a video he posted a video trying to explain what was going on on a different like account and they they removed that as well um uh so he's like suspended from posting for a while wow. as far as i'm aware yeah um which is sh- like five point he's got like over five million subscribers he's got a huge channel yeah i really channel, gotta wonder what's gonna happen to youtube to be honest but um we can get we can get into that later mm. but my point is that, that with with people getting removed who have any opinion outside of the mainstream narrative at the minute it's gonna create like we i've already been concerned about echo chambers like forming on social media it seems like the entire goal here is to turn social media into one giant echo chamber for like the correct opinion, and that's going to be even more damaging. Because if you think you can, if you think people are bad at listening to other opinions when they have access to it on the same, mm. board, like where do you see how bad it gets when like two sides of an argument exist on totally different platforms? Yeah. Like there'd be no crossover whatsoever except to like parody the other side. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to get real fun. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about social media. So, I mean, you've done, I have lots of ideas on this as someone who's a very, very active social media user. Um, but what do you think are some of the big problems with social media and how it's affected the political and social cultural discourse? Essentially, I think it amplifies all of the problems that we have. I mean, the, the, so like to, 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 to use the examples I use in my book, like the Brexit vote. And, um, I talk quite a lot about the, the Trump, uh, the Trump election as well mm-hmm. in 2016. And the, I think the reason that, um, companies like Cambridge Analytica, who I also talk about were so successful in using their strategy of of micro-targeting ads to people based on their personality in order to like stir up uh, tensions to get people more riled up based on things that make them angry or frustrated or uh, you know they, they just they make people want to react and or you know they get them real passionate about you know freedom or America or you know whatever whatever the topic is I think the reason that that tactic was so well utilized in both Britain and America is because the underlying like social divides were already there Mm. and they were the most, um, they were the most obvious or the most um, that we were the most divided nations in the developed world who could be exploited in this way, I think. So you you saw like the divisions based on, on Mm. like say race in America or in Britain, we've got like the, the class uh, divide that we, Mm -hmm. we talk about, or you've just got the, the divide in, in both Britain and America that um, David Goodhart talks about in his book, the road to somewhere, which is stunning. If anyone wants to understand um, how like our country is divided at the minute, like read that book. Okay. Uh, So he basically suggests that Britain and America can be split into three categories, somewheres, anywheres, and in-betweeners. So the somewheres are about 50%, the anywheres are about 25%, and the in-betweeners are 25%. Now, he also states that like you can't put anyone in one specific category, but it's a really great broad way of looking at it. So the somewheres tend to be people who, who... grow up 
they will like live in the town that they've grown up in or near the village or near to the city and they'll stay there and they 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 build their life there they they don't necessarily go off to university they will stay they 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 feel they belong somewhere and the anywheres tend to be people who are you know they leave home at, at 18 they go to a new city or potentially even a new country and um they get exposed to all these people who are coming from every different background across the country across the world and and they get exposed to to fantastic new ideas like i'm i'm not saying these are bad either side either of it's a bad thing they've both got their merits but the the point that he's making is that this experience especially with so many people going to university is creating like a new divide in both britain and america between people who feel comfortable in the modern world and people who don't Okay. Um, people who want who who like the 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 free open borders let's live anywhere sort of ideology of of the the modern left mm. versus people who sort of yearn for that stability of say the the idealized version of the 70s mm-hmm. you know when when everything was was you know rose tinted and and perfect you know you had you, you had your one job for one family and people could you know just come out of school get an apprenticeship Sim- get a times. job it was simpler yeah. and yeah. and I, I, that that i believe he has really identified the divide there and i think that's most prevalent in in britain in america across the world mm. and i think that social media has been has amplified those divisions uh both accidentally and by people attempting to use it whether that's uh the the campaigners who are paying for ads that tend to like play on those divides or whether it's uh you know, Russian bots and trolls coming straight out of the the, the internet research agency, um, and who who were like deliberately stoking those divides more so in America than Britain, but they were they were attempting how successful you think they were is is up for debate, but they were attempting to use social media to exploit those divides to weaken or you know just cause trouble and cause like you know fires to explode and and to divide the nation and. Obviously, they've done an awful job because we're more united than ever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's why I think social media is problematic. It just tends to like, mm. it tends to amplify whatever is there, and it, it, the divisions that exist in our in our society and our politics are 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 not going away unless mm. we deal with them. And we're not going to deal with them unless we have a serious conversation about it. And I don't have any faith in the politicians, uh, Keir Starmer, uh, the empty vessel that he is, or <laughs> Boris Johnson, um, yeah. to do anything that may, you know, cause these divisions to be lessened or to mm. regulate social media in a way that allows people to maintain their freedom of speech and to you know, uh, you know, not be banned for for arbitrary things in a yeah. in a completely opaque process. I have no faith in him to address any of those or Keir Starmer because they stand to benefit from the division because mm-hmm. it makes it potentially easier for Boris and the Conservatives to remain in power or for Labour to to get back into power. And and once they're there, they're not going to address the 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 problems that gave them power because. That would, you know, remove their 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 avenue through which to get there. Yeah, I hear you, man. I've got I've got a lot of questions here. Like I'm trying to think of the <laughs> the first one to pull up here. I think the first question I have is: you mentioned that you think social media is exploiting pre existing divisions and polarization, which you think we're reaching 
I don't know if you explicitly said this, but we're reaching a high level, maybe not an all-time high, but we're reaching a high level. What do you think it is that led up to that to begin with? So social media really only came into the picture on a on a big level, let's say 10 years ago, you know, initially about 15 years ago, but let's say 10 years ago on a larger level. So what do you think happened prior to then um, that that fragmented say the UK, because we're talking about that specifically, but maybe the UK and America, what do you think led up to that increasing polarization to begin with? Um, So I'm a big fan of Naomi Klein, and I know a lot of people on the right aren't her biggest fan for for many reasons, but I think her book, The Shock Doctrine, is an unbelievably brilliant piece of journalism. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic examination of how, like, laissez-faire, free market neoliberalism has driven a lot of uh, the, the, a lot of world politics over the past uh, 40 years and how it's driven how it's driven inequality in Britain and America to to levels that that are almost unimaginable now I, i'm not sitting here suggesting that we need like equality of outcome because that's insane Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a level of inequality, I believe, that is acceptable, that allows people to strive for better, but also, you know, means that there's at least not 14 million people living in poverty whilst the rich in, in Britain get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 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 slow creep of neoliberalism, of globalization and of increasing wealth and income inequality is the the reason that we've ended up so polarized that's okay basically yeah interesting interesting so you think it's primarily economic i think yeah i'd say that's that's the ultimate source of it like for example the um the there's a there's some great studies that was done i think the guy's name was timo fetzer and he was talking about the the level of austerity shock that that um, different regions in the UK experienced. Uh, so essentially the amount of money that was cut from like the, the, the budget of public services or welfare mm-hmm. um, post the post 2010. So when the, the conservatives came to power again, and he essentially uh, draws a big correlation between the higher, the level of austerity shock. So the, the more money that was cut um, from different regions, the more likely they were to vote, for UKIP. It was nothing okay. to do with immigration. It mm-hmm. was nothing to do with like the levels of, of, of um, yeah, the levels of immigration or the number of immigrants in, in the area. It was all you could draw like a pretty solid correlation between the amount of money cut from public services and the amount that people turned towards UKIP. Okay. And, uh, you know, you can say that, that, that then UKIP weaponized it by saying, yeah, well, it's the immigrants. They're taking all the money or they're taking the hospital beds or they're, ta- they're taking the jobs. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it was um, a collapse of it was just like pulling out the rug of the welfare state from from places that like like Blackpool that have been like deteriorating um, in terms of, of like how many jobs are available there. Mm-hmm. And from from a town that had, you know, lots of like factory jobs and industry jobs and have slowly sort of trickled away to, to, to as I call it, the slow creep of, of globalization. And then when you, when you make those massive cuts to the welfare system and to like the, the funding of community projects and 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 like local services, people suddenly realize that they're left with not nothing, but like that, that, sh- that, 
that like loss that had mm. happened slowly was suddenly fell all in one moment. I I think at least. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, well, <laughs> it's interesting because I mean, based on that, I mean, Brexit sounds like an obvious thing for someone in that position to to vote for, right? Because it's an anti. It's certainly, you know, to some degree, it's an anti globalization idea, right? Mm. I think, to me personally, in terms of my own political ideology, anyway, I mean, the most appealing thing about Brexit is simply sovereignty, right? National sovereignty. Um, I totally am on board with that idea. And I actually think that's, I think that's the strongest message of it. I think that's the thing that people don't like always miss. People talk about, uh, you know, always talk about the immigration or like some imagined racism or xenophobia, which I I believe is like 90% imagined. Um, but people don't, people are missing the general idea of like, no, like we are British people. We think that these decisions, whether it is about immigration or it's about jobs or, you know, employment or certain bureaucratic procedures, these decisions should be made in Britain by the British people. These decisions should not be made in Brussels. Um, We should be able to control all of this. We shouldn't just have to take whatever these unelected officials who we don't even know who they are. We shouldn't have to just take it from them. So to me, someone who's quite libertarian, well, not quite, who's very libertarian leaning. Um, to me, that was like the, the, the easy sell. Like I didn't even vote for it because the reason I didn't vote for leave was because the, 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 the pathway wasn't clear, right? It wasn't clearly explained. Okay. If leave actually wins, these are going to be the next steps. And I think a lot of that is because I think, I think a lot of people didn't really think leave could win. Even a lot of people campaigning for it. So they only kind of explained it up until a point, but they didn't really go beyond. So my personal view, the reason why I say I'm kind of like ideologically in the leave camp, but I actually voted um, for remain was because I just kind of did the math of like, okay, well, we've been in the EU my entire life. I know what that you could almost say it was a kind of conservative vote in a way, because it's kind of like, okay, well, I already know what this means. It just means things are going to carry on the way they, the way they are. Right. Mm. Um, and the leave thing was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, that would be, that's a big change. Like that's a big shift. That's moving away from what it's been for the past several decades, but I'm not seeing a clear, I'm not seeing a clear plan here of like, okay, what happens next? And as we know, after that happened, I mean, how many prime ministers were, were, were <laughs> different prime ministers went through Nigel Farage stepped down after making the thing happen. And yeah. the UK was just in limbo for what, three yeah. years, three, four years. The UK is just in limbo. They're talking about, should we do a second referendum and this and that? And I was very much in the position of, for me personally, my, my view was I didn't buy I I generally don't buy into doomsday narratives and I didn't buy into the doomsday narrative of either side. Right. So on the remain side, some people were like, oh, my gosh, if we leave the EU, uh, Europe is going to cut us off. We won't be able to go on holidays. The price. Remember what they were saying that the price of anyway, (laughs) the the price of the price of apples and cheese and wine is going to triple. There's going to be increased violent attacks on on immigrants. And, you know, what? like there was a lot of doomsday uh, scenario there. And then also on the leave campaign, they also had their doomsday narrative, which is your country's going to be the country's going to be flooded with, you know, just totally uncontrolled open borders, immigration, which is going to jack up the prices of everything. The NHS is going to collapse. More people are going to lose their jobs, um, this and that. And Turkey are joining the EU. Yeah, I was just like, I don't believe either of y'all. Like, I think 
normally what happens, there are always doomsday narratives. Always. We're living through the biggest doomsday narrative of my life right now, in fact. (laughs) And I'm always kind of like, it never turns out as not even close to as scary as people imagine. I mean, Brexit has happened now. Have we even really noticed? I mean, not, <laughs> some things. I mean, the, the one yeah. thing that people are pointing to a lot, actually, is that like export numbers of like whiskey and cheese and stuff are way down. Okay. And and I keep I keep it. Oh, I almost swore there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I keep I keep being like I looked at that and I was like, hang on. Well, you know, it doesn't take Sherlock to figure out that um, the restaurants aren't open anywhere in Europe. We can't export anything. You know, there's no one sitting going, "Oh yeah, we'll take a we'll take a Bushmills whiskey with that, uh, yeah, that that Yorkshire cheddar." Um, yeah. This just not, you know, no one's no one's eating anything at, at <laughs> restaurants. So, so how could yeah. you export anything? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've been trying since, like, I, I came to the conclusion that, okay, so you know, we've we've made the vote. Um, and if you have a second vote, you're probably going to have to have a third vote, especially because it's not going to be conclusive. So we mm. should probably just like best of three, <laughs> try and get best of three. Yeah. Um, and but like we should try and figure out the best way to make some sort of like good thing about it. Mm. I read um, Roger Boodle's uh, "Making a Success of Brexit," which was um, a lot of. I, I didn't really like it. I thought it was a lot of tripe um, mm. because it was mainly about how it was like the, the free market neoliberal case for Brexit being like, oh, we'll be global Britain and we'll get all these trade deals with like Australia and New Zealand. And I was like, why would why would we do that? Like, you know, just why? And uh, But I started to try and think, it's like, right, okay, how can we be positive here? Like, what can we do that's great? Mm. And I started to realize that this plus COVID and like the rebuild that's going to be necessary to, you know, build back better um, <laughs> post uh, post Brexit and post COVID is is giving us this stunning opportunity to do some really cool stuff that we could not have done inside the EU and that, that we should like try and grasp this opportunity and say, look, OK, you know, you might not like that we've left Europe, mm. but surely there's something that we can figure out. And the, the one I always point to is there's there's this great idea for like a, a carbon a carbon dividend that was put forward by a whole bunch of US Republicans, actually. It's a fantastic idea, I think, anyway. And it's like a, a very minor, steadily increasing carbon tax that funds like a citizen's dividend for, mm. the, the, for the country. And I think it's a, a cool way that the market could be encouraged to deal with, with climate change. Mm. And the idea couldn't be implemented inside the EU. And now we have this opportunity to do Mm -hmm. something cool like that. That's like thinking outside the box. It's pushing something that, that um, a lot of left-wingers are understandably passionate about. Mm -hmm. And um, it's something that we could really benefit from because it would theoretically, at least put a lot of money in the pockets of, of, of everybody in the country. So it would Mm -hmm. literally like, in theory anyway like help like push us towards dealing with climate change whilst like redistributing a little bit of wealth like surely the left and the remain the remain camp should be like hmm that would be a cool idea and 
every single time I post this as a, a suggestion anywhere. It's like, mm-hmm. no, there can be no upsides to Brexit. It's going to be awful. It's like oh, yeah, yeah, people yeah. are like locked into this idea yes. that it's going to be awful. It's just yeah. going to be like riots in the street and people like roasting rats, you know, by the side <laughs> of Parliament <laughs> Square. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. But like that's that's the that's the the, the sort of picture yeah, that gets the, painted, the, and it's up to us to make what we we can mm-hmm. of it. Basically, is is my kind of thought now, and and you know, it's people stuck in their echo chambers listening to how bad it's going to be to bring us yeah. back to social media. You know, well, the truth is, and this is something I've really, has re- I mean, I've I've known this for a while, but it really, really has hit in the past year, which is that a lot of people, a very large percentage of people, they they care less about the idea than who is proposing the idea. Okay. So I tweeted this yesterday and it kind of went viral. I said, if Trump, if Trump had floated the idea of vaccine passports to do like basic activities and just exist in society, 90% of the people who are suggesting it's a good idea right now would be violently opposed to it. Right. They would say that it is fascistic, and I would actually agree with them <laughs> on this one. Um, they would say that it's a huge violation of human rights, which I would also agree with. And they would say that this will have a disproportionate impact on minority communities, especially black Americans in the USA, who are the least likely demographic to want to take any given vaccine. Right. So just like they argue that voter ID is racist in their terminology, they would argue that, um, you know, Donald's Trump, Donald Trump's whole proposal, it's, it's, it's racist, it's fascistic, it's um, an attack on human rights, etc. But because the idea is being proposed by more people on so-called their side, more people, they're, they're sort of on board with it. I mean, in the USA, you see this, right? The, the Democrats put forward a bill and the Republicans automatically oppose. So, sometimes the same bill will get put forward. The Democrats will put it forward. Republicans will oppose it. Six months later, the Republicans put the bill forward and they all vote for it and vice versa. So that it, it's politics is just um, I mean, sure, this is largely what, what we're talking about, right? It's, it's become for so many people just a partisan team sport. So rather than thinking of, OK, what are the best ideas for society in general? And sure, we're, we all have different ideas of that, right? Um, it's just, OK, what benefits my side? And even the politicians are thinking this way. Does this advance our side? Does it make it more likely they'll vote for us or not? You saw this in the in the USA with the whole pandemic response, right? I mean, a lot of people there, people didn't want Trump to do to deal with the thing well. And they didn't want to give him any credit for the things that he did do well because they thought, well, if if this thing recovers under him, there's a high chance he's going to get uh, reelected, right? And so you had people there literally kind of in opposition to their own country and in opposition to what's good for the nation simply because they didn't like the president, you know? And to me, that to me, that's messed up, right? Like, I'm interested in politics to a degree, but I'm also, number one, I'm like, look, ultimately, your life and your success is going to come down to you. I'm very much in that camp. And also just, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think... It's it's a weird one. I mean, in a time like this, yeah, politics directly impacts people's lives a lot. But I think who whoever's in uh, the White House, whoever's in 10 Downing Street, in the grand scheme of things, unless they do something like super drastic, and we are living through a drastic time because the government response has been very drastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not convinced if the, uh, you know, laborhood won that it would be any different in this case. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. I think um, I don't even really know exactly where I'm going with this. I just think it's um, it becomes this sort of like distraction and this warfare. And I also think a lot of people obsess over it to a to their own very much to their own detriment, right? Because if it's it's kind of to me, it's like outsourcing the responsibility. So if you if you don't want to put in the work to make your life good and to fix your own problems then it's easier to outsource it to the government, blame it on Trump, blame it on Brexit, blame it on Biden, blame it on Remain, blame, blame it on whatever, rather than just going, you know what, like my life is in my own hands. My life, my success, the health, the wealth, the security of my family, that's in my own hands. Um, sure, the government might be able to help. Like I'm personally very much in the, yo, government, leave me alone. Y'all are doing too much. I like, get, yeah, I want the government doing way less than it is. Like that's my own personal position, but I understand there's people who want it to be doing a lot more after the past year. I still don't know how they have that view, but, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I don't I know. I myself the same question every <laughs> single day. Like I, the, the craziest thing is that on a lot of things, right, I am really what people would consider to be quite left-wing on a lot yeah. of it, right? Yeah. And all that has happened this year is I find myself agreeing with the people <laughs> I used to think were insane. Like the, the people that I used to hate every word that came so from their mouth, like like Mike Graham or Julia Hartley Brew. Oh, they're or, great. Or, or, or um, Sammy Sammy Wilson of the DUP, who is a, <laughs> who is a young Earth Christian, who like like denies climate change is even a vague thing like i uh, just it like the people that i used to disagree with completely so and utterly i find myself agreeing with and, and like <laughs> I, I said this to someone the other day i was like they, they asked me who i would want as prime minister right now and the, mm. the only, like i said sir charles walker like, like i josh the the person who who people like my friends used to like joke about being like sjw josh right? <laughs> would like a conservative right winger as prime minister Mm. And I was just like, what is going on? But I think you're right about the Trump thing and the vaccine passport. I think we should petition him to call it the for the, the US government to call it the <laughs> Trump pass and get him to come out like viscerally in support of it. Yeah. And that would be the thing. But like, how do you switch off, man? Because like the last year I've been like trying to wrestle with this thing where I want to know what's going on. I'm trying mm. to stay informed because I, I'm like quite scared about the, the, you know, the prospect of future government tyranny at the yeah. minute, yeah, um, which is, again, something I never thought I would be concerned with in my lifetime. Happens quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. It's quite, mm. it's quite scary. And it's quite scary how, how quickly people will acquiesce to it. But I'm trying to balance like, like doing that and, and, and taking up the, the, the mantle of, of like one of my heroes, who's Bernie Sanders, who, who says you should never lose your sense of outrage. Mm. And, and I, I agree. I agree with that passionately. <laughs> that, that, that's so if interesting. You, if you believe in something and, yeah. and you think you should be outraged about it, you should yeah. you should try. You should aim to never become apathetic about things that w that that you believe in passionately. Mm, mm. I, Essentially, I, I, is how I, I, I get, take I get, it. I get the point. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that could be very detrimental to a lot of people. <laughs> but um, potentially, I, but I, like, I kind of get it. I, Especially with like the, the 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 thing that I like I mentioned in my book as well is that social media is like we are not programmed or designed or built or evolved to deal with like all of the world's ills being like like screamed at us from a phone no. that's there like right beside you twenty four seven like mm -hmm. we're just not built to like take that in and deal yeah. with it well so like how how, have, how do you balance like trying to remain sane whilst remaining informed. That's a good, that's a great question, man. Especially um, given the size of my following these days, um, 
I mean, to give you an idea, just on Twitter alone, if I, I turn my I turn my notifications off in 2016, but if I had them on, just Twitter alone is over a hundred thousand notifications a day. <laughs> to get yeah, so it's um it's a very good question for me. Obviously, I I switch all my notifications off, um, and I think it helps that I don't own a TV and I haven't for 12 years, so I don't watch mainstream. I don't watch TV at all, um, and I don't listen to the radio, so. I only I get my information <laughs> primarily from social media and or the internet in general. But for me, um honestly, it's a balance between staying informed and look, I, I'm very much like I know my, my life is in my hands. No politician is coming to save me, no politician is coming to save you, no politician is coming to save us, right? Um so I understand that. We we all know that the whole thing is a circus, whether in the you're in the UK or in the USA, it, it's a circus, um, which means it's entertaining, um, and it's it's certainly important to a degree. But the truth is, you you only need to know so much, right? There, there's very much a point of not not just diminishing returns, but negative returns, especially if you try to keep up with everything in the news. Because the truth is, the world is both a beautiful place full of wonderful people. And also, it's a terrible place full of terrible people. Both of those things are true. And they've always been true all throughout humanity. Just read, read a history book. The best thing in the world is humans. The worst thing in the world is humans. Like, we're a really complicated uh, species. But um, I think there's a... I just think there, there's, a, there's a balance to be reached between focusing on what you can, what you can do and what you can change and what you, what you can affect and then being informed of the stuff outside of that, but not obsessing over it to a degree that it keeps you. I mean, you sort of said that permanent outrage thing. I'd say that, that it keeps you permanently angry or upset or so because because that can also lead to you just kind of feeling like you hate people almost. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there are some people I think you see this a lot online. I'm kind of like this person is like you. You know, you can reach a stage where you you almost like hate people, and that can happen to anyone. If you spend a lot of time, especially on Twitter, whether you're um, apolitical or you're on the right or you're on the left or you're religious or you're an atheist or whatever, like there's just there's three hundred and three hundred million people on there just sort of screaming their thoughts into the ether, and you're, you there's people out there. Whatever you believe, there are people diametrically opposed to you, and now you have access to all their thoughts and all their ideas, and everyone's attacking each other and. It can it can easily be too much. So I think you you kind of plug in and also consciously unplug at times um, and obviously follow stuff that is primarily positive. This doesn't mean put yourself in a in an unnecessarily an unnecessary echo chamber, but you don't have to engage with everything. You don't have to jump into every conversation, respond to every mean like. Otherwise, it's a full time job. Otherwise, um, you know, maybe it's a full time job for lots of people, depending on your on your the size of how many people are interacting with you. Um, so for me, that's it. And then Sundays, I take Sundays off. Um, I unplug so that I come back on Monday, kind of like fresh and okay, cool. I can deal with this again because I normally find come Friday, Saturday, I'm starting to be like, oh my gosh, like I'm starting to feel like I hate people again, right? <laughs> and I and I never want that. Anytime I start to feel that, because that's really not me. Like I love, I love people, man. I love people. And I'm very much an extrovert, which is why this whole lockdown has been hard for me. Um, but then you've got all these compounding factors. I normally go to the gym a lot. I haven't been in the gym for three months now. Longest I haven't been in 17 years. Um, so I'm aware, I'm just conscious of the fact that, okay, like 
I'm even I I'm potentially on edge here and people are going to annoy me quicker than usual. So let me be cognizant of that and, you know, enjoy my real real world life that I can affect and make sure I'm happy and successful and healthy and um, dip into this and out of it. Like if it's just too much, just put my phone down, switch that thing off. Just go go live my life, go outside, go to the park, go for a walk, talk to somebody, talk to someone I like. Um, so for me, that those are the, some of the things that certainly help. Oh, that's a beautiful message, man. <laughs> <laughs> those are One of the beautiful that things that humans are capable of creating. Yeah, man. Well, we, we, we got, we got to do it, man. I mean, ultimately, you know, this is the thing with, you know, cultural issues and politics and all that. One thing I do often say is, yo, we all have to live in the same world, you know, <laughs> and there's seven and a half billion of us, different ideas, ideologies, personalities, religions, belief systems, all sorts. No two people have the exact same, um, you know, even if on paper you've got two people who kind of look like they kind of follow the same ideologies, like they can still be vastly different. They might not, they might not even like each other. <laughs> they might not even like each other in the real world. And then you, you can have someone who I'm sure you have friends who you disagree with on like a lot of big issues, but you get on really well and your personalities match and you trust each other and you like each other and you know, you've got their back, they've got your back, all of that. But um, yeah, I think ultimately we, we have to all just learn to, yeah, just accept that um, <laughs> there's only so much we can do and there's only so much we can change. That doesn't mean that you don't try. We all try to do our bit in our own capacity. But um, like I said, anyway, I'm a firm believer that it's more internal than it is external. And I think if, if people actually focused more on making the most of their own lives and developing themselves and them being the best that they can be, rather than putting it all out there and blaming other people or looking towards the government to do everything, then actually the world would be a better place sort of by by default, just by just by dint of that. I don't trust um I trust myself more than I trust any politician. Um I trust random strangers on the street more than I trust most politicians because they're not incentive <laughs> they're actually because yeah. they're not they're not incentivized to they don't want anything from me, right? They're not trying to win my vote or trying to do this. So they're less likely to lie. Um and sure they're not in this position of power, but as we all know, look, most people in the world come off social media, interact in the real world. I know it's hard to do right now, but most people are decent. Most people are sane. Um, most people don't want to, it's very rare to find someone who wants to like hurt you or who view, whose views are based in hatred or what, whatever it is, you know? And um, that's one more thing that helps. I'll just, I'll just say that one more thing, which is to, and this is difficult. This is hard. But I always try to remind myself that virtually everybody has good intentions, mm. right? It's so the, important to remember, man. Like, yeah, yeah, like it's no, hard. <laughs> no, no one, no one is stood right. Like this is something that I really have to try to like drum into people's head as well. Mm. You see, when people are arguing for a specific like political viewpoint or a, mm. like a policy or anything, it's like yeah. they are not doing it because they think it's going to screw you. They do it because we all want the best. Well, 95% mm -hmm. of us want the best for mm -hmm. the place in which we live and the people who live around us. Like yes. we, we all want the best. And all we disagree about is how to get there. How to get there. Yeah. And what the government's role is in getting there. Yeah. Well, like, right? that's... that's all we disagree over. We all mm -hmm. want the best. And I really wish people would remember that. Like, <laughs> it is hard. 
there's no one sitting in in Scotland, like like going into going into the voting booth, being like, "Oh, I'm gonna screw that guy yes. in black." Yeah. <laughs> like, <it's> just, like <laughs> no, no, it's um, it's um, it's a it's a tricky one, and that's the one thing I do try to I try to remind myself of. I'm not perfect at it. It's something I have to remind myself of multiple times a day, um, and I wish other people would kind of do the same um because i often find like i'm kind of the bigger man in these conversations and someone is accusing me of you know being this horrible evil right winger who wants to like you know like kill poor people or something like that i've literally had people accuse me of that which is like no like clearly that's not my right (laughs) i just have a different role like my view of the government as someone who leans pretty libertarian is that the government is the source of a lot of the problems right so if someone is like, we need the government to do this and to do that and to do, I'm like, no, we we want less government. Someone is there saying minimum wage should be $20 or 15 pounds an hour. And I'm like, minimum wage should not exist. Right. Mm. And I'm not saying that because, <laughs> so these are very opposite views, but mm. I'm not saying this. Neither of us are saying this from a point of evil, but then that person will go, oh my gosh, that means you want poor people. I'm like, no, there's a free market, right? Minimum wage, <laughs> like minimum wage is a relative, is a very new concept actually in terms of humanity. And it's had a lot of detrimental effects. Um, I haven't really studied it in the UK, but in the USA, it's had a lot of detrimental effects and actually jacked up unemployment, right? So um, we're coming at this from different ways. But if you, uh, it's the principle of charity, right? Assuming that trying to see the good and also just trying to understand this is where social media really falls down, right? Mm. We're having a great conversation here. We have the time and the space we can, um, you know, real life would be even better, but we can see each other's faces. Um, we can, we can respond in real time. I got my mask, man. <laughs> if you say something that I don't understand, I can be like, hang on. Like, what do you mean by that, Josh? If I say something you don't understand, you can be like, Zubi, wait, what? Can you explain that a little bit more? It's all good. But if you're trying to communicate in 140 or 280 characters at a time and there's a big audience watching and you can't see anyone. In fact, some people don't even have most people have avatars. So it's not even I'm here arguing. I'm arguing with a dog, for goodness sake. Like, I don't. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever wonder how many of these people are real? Because like, like most I, I, I'm, I'm really trying to figure this out at the moment. And there's a great book I'm reading um, by, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher the way to say his name. I think it's Peter Pomerantsev. Okay. Um, or Pomerantsev. Anyway, that's not relevant. It's called This Is Not Propaganda. Um, and the best, but the reason I bought it is because the sale sign was over the word not. So it read, this is propaganda. So okay. I was like, that's hilarious. I have to buy this book. <laughs> um, and he basically says that like we have no idea the level of sophistication of like bots and false people and things that mm. are being created and and that we, that and Eric Weinstein's talked about this as well where he where he tries to engage with people that that he that he appear that he thinks appear to be bots or shills or you know paid trolls or whatever mm. and then they'll just disappear and he, okay. he he says that they tend to be pushing him in one direction or or they tend to be like saying oh i can't believe you crossed this line and he thinks that it's something or someone attempting to like very subtly like nudge the Mm -hmm. corners of what is possible and sometimes i'm looking at like people's comments and being like are you real Mm, are you mm, real mm. like i like people like i like real people this is why i love podcasts why i make my own and this is why i'm it's great to chat to you because you know you get you have a real conversation like you said it's not 280 characters or you know a like or a retweet or a (laughs) you know 
one of those those posts that's just like this is the way like with mm-hmm. the clap things and you <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> what is up with us and just that's repeat just re- repeating it this is the way yeah. clap this is the way clap this is yeah. the, i'm like repeating it doesn't make it any more i don't know it's strange it's strange yeah. Um, I had a question, Josh, um, before we, um, I know we, we've just gone a little bit over an hour, but coming back to what you were talking about before, you mentioned um, regulating social media. So I'm actually kind of interested in what you mean when you suggest that. What do you think, um, I take it obviously you think something should be done on a governmental level when it comes to social media. Uh, what do you think should be done? Um, so I think there's 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 two, two things we should do here. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first is that, so... About 30 or 40 years ago, there was this like fantastic new piece of tech that came along that allowed politicians or anyone that wanted with enough money to reach into, theoretically, the homes of every person in Britain. It was the television, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then we decided as a society that television political advertising was not a good idea. That the theory, as far as I'm, I, I understand it, was that politics belongs on the doorstep. That if you have an idea that you believe you know, believe in and you're campaigning for that your success should be based on how many people you can get to go out and knock on doors on that cold, rainy April morning or to come to your rally and stand there for two hours while they wait for you. And it should be based on how many people you can personally inspire to go out and convince other people to to support. Mm. I, I think that's pretty noble. I, I really like that idea. I, I think that's that's the, the the purest form of 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 democracy is that that without any technology involved, is simply how many people you can convince has got a good idea. Mm-hmm. And we said that politics should not be governed and should not be won sitting behind a TV camera. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we have this far more invasive, far more intelligent, far more. Um, powerful piece of tech in in micro targeted adverts mm-hmm. that allows people to basically pump as much money as they want into pushing a certain idea with no oversight, no need to disclose who's doing it, no need to 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 have any factual basis to what you're saying. And I think it's it's crazy. I, I think that like we made Ofcom to regulate what's going on TV. Mm-hmm. We we have like advertising standards on on television. We have the watershed that says what you can and can't say before and after eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. We have like a defined set of rules that exist for how how we should be able to like put forward messages. And I think we need the same thing for for advertising online. I, okay. And I don't think that's a, a crazy proposal. <laughs> and the other the other thing I think is that we need to ensure that social media companies have a transparent appeals process for people who get banned. Agreed. I think they need to. They have set out their terms of service mm-hmm. and their their community guidelines, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, and then they are allowed to define them as broadly as possible, and then apply them as as much or little as they feel. And they yeah. can even just claim that they're applying them and not apply apply them or apply them in ways that are just completely counter to the way they were they were first envisioned as. Mm-hmm. And I think that in any other any other type of media, this like would be seen as a violation of a contract. And I think we need to define it as such in in law and say that if someone gets banned based on X, Y and Z rules that they have agreed to by signing up to this service like Twitter or YouTube or Facebook or whatever it Mm -hmm. is, and they should be able to say, hey, you know, you said I was banned for 
YouTube are the worst. Like they just say you yeah, community strike. I mean, I've had a video fl- like removed before just for yeah. I'm not going to mention what it was, but very it was, little tra- very little transparency. There's there's no transparency. It was and talking no about an article that was in like a, like a major British newspaper, and I sent them the article, and they just said no. Nope. And Doesn't I was matter, like, well, yeah. how can you ban me for talking about something that they can talk about? Yeah, and yeah. and I think we need some sort of appeals process there to ensure that social media doesn't become the homogenized echo chamber that that, that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's a tricky one. I, yeah, I don't think either of those are, are radical proposals either. Yeah, I, I I think I think it's tricky. I think also because I mean, all the companies you've mentioned are also American companies. Mm. So from a UK perspective, or even in any other country perspective, I'm not sure if anything can really even feasibly be done there because we're talking about american companies that are international um you know in the in the u.s maybe in in the from the u.s government they could do something about it i know the trump uh administration talked about it they never any did did anything and then lo and behold donald trump of all people ends up getting kicked off all the platforms which was very <laughs> oh, uh yeah, no, yeah I, I think people kind of missed that thing that like they sort of missed the opportunity to make some regulation and then you know, the commander in chief chief sort of fell on that sword. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's sort of two parts of it. I think there's the idea of what could be done. And then I think there's the, okay, well, how would this actually be done given the sort of nature of these platforms? It's like, okay, that would have to come from over there. The British government has no power over Twitter or Facebook yeah. or YouTube I mean- or anything. How do how do TV ch- like because we we you can get CNN on Sky yeah. here like w- w- you know I I can only assume that they have to adhere to certain rules mm. based on what they broadcast here and it's a good- I'm not I'm not saying I have all the answers yeah. I, I'm saying that we need to have like a serious discussion yeah. about it because it's completely unregulated and the politicians much like I, I, we we also talked about earlier have have no reason whatsoever to attempt to regulate this mm. because it's like the wild west of political campaigning and they can do what they want on it like the yeah. leave campaign and, I, and i'm not saying this because the leave campaign won they were just smarter in how mm. they did it like dominic cummings brought in a whole bunch of physicists and and like data scientist experts and went right build me an advertising model and like build me some sort of algorithm that like tracked um personality and like tracks people's Facebook likes, assembles like a, a picture of what their, their personality is based on your Facebook likes, which is like 110% totally possible and very scarily accurate. Yeah. And then they can target ads to you. And mm-hmm. then because like technology is fantastic, it learns what ones work better. And mm-hmm. the more mm-hmm. data you feed it, the smarter it gets. Yeah. And that like if they were able to do that in 2016, like what on earth are they capable of now? And yeah. and that's such a threat to our democracy as a whole that that we need to we really need to do something about it. Yeah, it's it's really complicated. I don't know. It's uh, that's an idea I I'm really I don't know about. Um, I would very much lean towards free market solutions. And a big problem is that even those have been sort of getting blocked. I mean, I'm sure you saw what happened with the Parler website um, and things like that. So I'm kind of like, okay, well. I I would lean very much towards a free market solution, but for that to be the case, the free market has to be allowed to function. If you have tech companies, which let's be honest, I mean, they are governments in themselves at this mm. stage, right? They're Facebook, so Facebook, Google, and Amazon, like, you know, they're what it, from an information perspective, they're more powerful than any government on the planet. 
right? They have more data on each individual. They know that the targeting, everything, the algorithms, they're so, so sophisticated that um, I would sort of argue that they could be considered a form of government in themselves. Um, mm. If not now, then certainly in the future um, when they continue to grow even further. And when we're talking Google, we're not just talking the search engine, right? Google owns YouTube. Google owns this and that. Facebook owns WhatsApp. Facebook owns Instagram. Facebook owns all. So these sort of, they're, they're, they're like these behemoths that are just sort of growing. And I mean, dude, I mean, literally, they, I don't think people understand. I think so many people dislike Trump so much that they don't truly think about the implications of multiple platforms simultaneously banning, deplatforming the president of the United States of America. Simultaneously. Like, yes, like coordinated, the most powerful man in the world, right? If they can do that to him, regardless of what you, what you to me, I'm like, well, look, what you think of Trump to me doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm starting to do his hand thing here. What you think of Trump, <laughs> what you think of Trump does, doesn't matter. But the fact that that can happen to the U.S. president, I'm like, yo, everybody should be concerned. <laughs> like, like, if they can do that to him, like, what chance do you have? Like, if they go rogue or they don't like you or whatever, it's like, boy, um, yeah, I don't know. To me, that's a dangerously slippery slope there. Yeah. And they, they, they have this, like, I've heard people talk about it, like Trump derangement syndrome. But I talked to this journalist, um, Brian Frydenborg, about this for like an hour and a half on my podcast. And I was like, look, like, I know the capital, like, I don't want to call it an insurrection because it was a bunch of like people sort of yeah. ambling in. Like there were some people... It, yeah. There were some people going in there that like caused trouble, but most of them were just sort of like walking around. Like they, yeah. they didn't seem like like malicious people. No. Um, obviously, there's there's always going to be violent people in. in I think I think like riot. I think riot is fair. Yeah, riot. riot. Okay, yeah, yeah fair. Enough. Like the capital riot. That's yeah. that's that's a, that's a good way to put it. So, uh, and I was like, look, I know that wasn't good. The optics are not good. Like that no. is not. There's not good. Like uh, storming the government building is like, oh, that's not. That's bad, not bad ideal. Look. Like bad they look, should yeah. probably be arrested. You know, certainly yes. Um, <laughs> but that that doesn't warrant like banning Trump from Twitter and, and he didn't tell and all them, of these things. And, and he and didn't he, tell them to do it. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> look, didn't you, tell them to do you, it. Like I was like, look, right, okay, so so if they ban Trump, they can they can they can do it to anyone. Like the mm. the precedent that it sets here is that you cannot say anything that these like handful of billionaires mm -hmm. don't like or you're gone yeah and like we can't allow that to happen and he was like no man i totally agree with you i, t I totally do but trump and then i was like <laughs> come on like, yeah, yeah. That, and that's that's the reaction that most people give and yeah. to be honest we should have seen it coming with um with alex jones like he was he was like oh the i did in the i did man, the i did man yeah. I saw. I, I've been on Twitter since 2009. I've seen this. I mean, people on the right: Alex Jones, Gavin McInnes, Milo Yiannopoulos, Laura Loomer, um, and then a whole bunch of people who are lower profile. I saw them getting picked off one by one by one, um, and I was sounding the alarm bell on this years ago. But of course, because again, people are viewing this as a team sport, and they're cheering when their so-called opponents get taken out. And I'm like, guys, this is not. This is not good for anybody. Like, you don't understand. Like. Even if you don't like this individual, it's not good that they're, especially, especially if they haven't clearly violated any of the terms. If it's just one of those, mm, we sort of just generally don't like you. So you're gone. You know, if you can point out, okay, this is very clearly this particular thing is what caused it. 
but the fact that people can can't see that and it's not it's not clear it's not transparent and then you're also seeing a double standard right you're seeing people especially people on the left who are li- directly calling for violence or who are you know right like directly you know some of them have blue checks right and it's not it's not debatable it's like this person is literally calling for violence and okay that's okay but then this person puts out something which is a little bit mm, a little bit edgy right mm. maybe not the nicest thing but it's not a call for violence and oh they're gone and then there's still there's literally tweets on twitter which are up by blue check marks where they're telling people to like do this or to do that or whatever or you have the whole Kathy Griffin thing where she knows she's got like Trump's head on the and I'm like okay I'm like well it yeah there's there's no it's it's just double standards and triple standards I think that's what really frustrates people um because they're just like look the rule the game is rigged the rules are not fair it's not transparent and then when people try to build their own thing that gets attacked so it's like okay we'll we'll cre- come up with the twitter alternative and then that gets taken down yeah. oh we're gonna try yeah. to do this and that gets taken down and that's where you're kind of like okay there's something really wrong going on here do you see something popping up because like there's there's in terms of like alternatives to Twitter and Facebook and stuff, there are there are things like around like Parler's back now. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's Gab. Um, a lot of these places are just filled with like, you know, I I, I think there's crazy people on both sides, but it's mostly yeah. filled with right wing nuts. At the yeah, moment. it people is. Yeah, want to be on Twitter mm-hmm. or, or, or 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 who have been deplat who have been yeah. deplatformed. Yeah. Um, but like YouTube hasn't had like a like an obvious challenger yet, Ooh, and I feel like coming. it's. Yeah, like, what what do you see as like the major platform? Because I'm I'm looking at like Tim Pool got demonetized mm. in January for talking about the capital stuff. Yeah. Um, as far as as far that's what he says it was anyway. Like Crowder is now banned, um, mm. and he's like one of the best sourced. Like he always yeah. has his sources, yeah. always. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I don't I don't agree with a fair amount of his positions, but sure. He's and I don't even find him funny sometimes. He's really <laughs> really, really funny sometimes, and then sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh yeah not but, but but like he's he's really well sourced and yeah. and he's gone uh alex jones was already gone years ago mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like tim pool is now going like they they started with the crazy people yeah um or the people who some people think are crazy mm-hmm. um and then they've slowly like like edged it towards like That's more and happens, more man. like really really reasonable people just being yeah. either demonetized or deplatformed like what do you see as being like the most likely challenger to YouTube? Like, because I've been trying to work out where I should like look to start uploading okay. stuff instead of um, YouTube. Odyssey, I'd say odysseylibrary.tv. Um, that's my favorite one. Um, all of my videos are on there. I know they also have ones like um, BitChute and Rumble, um, Minds.com, etc. I think Odyssey is fantastic. Um, it only okay. started library's been around for a while, but their new Odyssey platform. And I'm not saying this um this isn't like me shilling or anything, but um I think that platform has a lot of potential. It's really, really good and it's it's well designed. I don't think I don't know how mobile friendly it is yet. I don't know if they have like a proper mobile app and all that, but the desktop version is very good. And um it connects to YouTube so you can if you upload to YouTube, it automatically goes on there. You don't need to do the additional work. And it pays creators way better than YouTube does. Pays creators much better than YouTube does. And it's all based That's on cool. blockchain, cryptocurrency, which I'm also into. So um, that gives it some additional protection. So I think th- if they play their cards right, and if YouTube continues to play their cards wrong, then the truth is, in the long term, I think all of this stuff will be sorted out. 
Right. Because social media companies do come and go. Like, I know we have the winners right now, but there was a time where, like, MySpace looked unbeatable, right? There was a time where, you know, so there was a time where- You remember Bebo? Did you ever have Bebo? Yes, I've had Bebo. (laughs) Yes, I've had Bebo, right? There was a time where, you know, how quickly has TikTok going from being, you know, it used to be called Musical.ly. How quickly Mm -hmm. has it gone from those days to- you know, being massive. Remember when Vine, there was a time when Vine was really popular. Now Vine doesn't exist. So these things can happen really quickly. I mean, within 10 years, it's guaranteed there's going to be a couple of big platforms which don't currently exist, which are ultra popular. And there's probably going to be some of the ones that are currently popular, which just fall off. You know, is TikTok still going to be popular in 10 years? I don't know. Is Facebook? I don't know. Is Twitter? I don't know. Like they're all susceptible um, because it's all a network effect because they all get the power from the, from the users. So the more users go on a platform, the more powerful it becomes. If loads of people start quitting YouTube or loads of people start quitting Twitter, which they will if they're not careful, because if they keep kicking off the people who, you know, Crowder has 5 million subscribers. Yeah, exactly. Right? Tim Pool has millions of subscribers. So if oh, he's you close start- to a million. I was listening to okay. this one. They're like this. Okay. But like okay. Joe Rogan was the big one. That's the one Joe, that I, yeah. I really, yeah. st- I really turned around and went, hmm. Maybe that's like something that like people, maybe you're not realizing just how big a moment that is now, but like maybe his exodus was like the start of people like deciding to like diversify platforms Mm -hmm. or um, something. I I just feel like it was like a big thing that people didn't really take like that much of. Some people call it like a soft retirement. But then he gone like harder. But I find he's gone harder than ever on some stuff uh, since he left YouTube, as he seems more freed in a way. Yeah, Uh, I don't know. I think the the truth is, at the end of the day, these are all companies. These are all public companies, so money talks at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, you know, same when they're doing their woke virtue signaling. They don't care about all that, right? It's just money. They're jumping on a quick bandwagon. Oh, BLM's popular right now. Hey, let's throw this up on our website. Let's, like, put out a statement. I'm like, these people don't care. Like, they don't care about any of it, right? Pride Month is going to be coming up in a couple months. You're suddenly going to start seeing rainbows everywhere. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, you really think that – to me, it's so trite. It's so contrived. Um, and I see straight through it, but you know, it apparently works on some people, but money talks. So when they start seeing their, um, profits getting hit, then, um, whether or not they like some of these people or whatever, I think they'll have to suck it up and be like, okay, maybe we don't, maybe we don't really like Steven Crowder. Maybe we don't really like Ben Shapiro. Maybe we don't really like, but these people are bringing in millions in in advertising dollars for us so probably kicking them all off isn't a good platform right you know um as michael jordan famously said republicans buy shoes too (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. right because right people people are asking michael jordan about you know like his uh you know about his his jordan partnership with nikes and he's like hey like republicans buy shoes too like why should i become why would i want to alienate you know up to half the country when I'm trying to promote or sell a a product, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. So, and I and I don't think most people would like to see this whole two tier partisan society where you have you know right wing Twitter and left wing Twitter and right wing ice cream and left wing ice cream, <laughs> right wing t shirt brand and left. You know, I what think would, I, what would taste better? <laughs> you got leftist tears flavor over here, and here we've got like uh, you know like. I'd anti- at least try that. Would you not try it? <laughs> I don't. I don't even know, man. But yo, Josh, I'm looking at the time. I we could we could go on for a while, but let people know where they can find you online. Uh, so you can find my YouTube channel, The Gist. That's J I S T. 
uh, you can go to thegist.co.uk or you can follow me on Twitter at uh, give me the gist. So yeah, that's where all my stuff is. Go buy my book if you if you thought like my talk on social media was interesting. It's uh, Brexit: The Establishment Civil War. It's on Amazon or for anyone who doesn't want to do Amazon, since we've been talking about horrendous tech monopolies, you can get it on <laughs> Bookshop.org, which is a really cool new little platform. Actually, that's like trying to turn, uh, trying to create like the Amazon for independent bookstores. So uh, okay. you can buy it there, and it gives like a, either you can buy it through a specific store that is registered like any indie indie bookshop that's registered on there or you can just buy it and then the money gets pumped into like yeah uh the platform for trying to promote indie bookstore sales so yeah get it there awesome josh hamilton thank you for coming on the show no problem thanks very much man i am the man sick with the slang sick and i'm destined for fame two for the fam not for the grand stunt you're destined for pain i do not front i do not scam put some respect on my name sick like a You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.